Blog Talk Radio. listening to the live internet broadcast of Secrets Revealed, Understand the Book of Revelation from start to finish. It is Sunday, July 9th of 2023, and this is PGN Prophetic Grace Network. Thank you to everyone who's a part of PGN. If you are a first-time listener or caller, welcome, and to all of our PGN friends and family, thank you so much for being here with me and with us today. So we are talking about one of the 12 statements of prophecy in the book of Revelation. There are 12 visions John the Revelator was shown when he was called up to heaven. As reported in Revelation chapter 4, he was called and then caught up to heaven. When he got to heaven, he saw some things, some very interesting things, and he gives us a report on what he actually saw in heaven. Beyond this report, he shared some more important information, information about the soon coming future realities, realities on this present earth and the new earth to come. An angel was commissioned to show him Visions. Today we call these visions moving pictures, or in other words, movies. So he saw visions with audio, and today we call them movies. And if we were particularly specific, we'd say a documentary. Documentaries document realities rather than uh, presenting um, presenting a fictitious story that is designed for the purposes of entertainment. So the purpose of the book of Revelation is to reveal the truth about the second coming of Jesus Christ, to reveal the truth about the meaning and purpose of life, to reveal what happens at the end of time, at the end of the age, and beyond the end of the age in what Urban Baxter referred to as eternity future, what the Bible refers to as the eternities of eternities. So we'll be talking about one of these revelations, one of these visions John was shown as documented in the book of Revelation. We're looking at chapter 15, chapters 15 and 16 of the book of Revelation in their entirety are a singular vision, the seven plagues documentary we could also use the language the seven plagues statement of prophecy you could say the seven plagues vision we're talking about the same thing use the words that allow your brain to easily uh, assimilate this key information these important secrets revealed in the word of god so We're talking about the seven plagues prophecy, chapters 15 and 16 in the book of Revelation. Let's take a look and talk about numbers. 
Let's talk about numbers in the seven plagues prophecy. We're going to look at chapter 15 today. Chapter 15 has the movie trailer in words uh, for the seven plagues prophecy. Here it is, the movie trailer in words for the seven plagues prophecy. Now, when you hear movie trailer, you're getting part of a movie. You're getting key points, highlights. But you need to see the full movie to get it in its entirety. So last Sunday, we focused on hearing the full report, the entire documentary, if you will, Chapter 16. Now we're going to circle back. We're going to focus on numbers in Chapter 15 today to see what secrets are revealed there. But let's begin with hearing Chapter 15 of the Book of Revelation. It includes part of the seven plagues prophecy. John the Revelator is speaking to you and to me. Here it is. Then I saw in heaven another marvelous event of great significance. Seven angels were holding the seven last plagues, which would bring God's wrath to completion. I saw before me what seemed to be a glass sea mixed with fire. And on it stood all the people who had been victorious over the beast and his statue and the number representing his name. They were all holding harps that God had given them. And they were singing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. Great and marvelous are your works, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear you, Lord? And glorify your name, for you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous deeds have been revealed. Then I looked and saw that the temple in heaven, God's tabernacle, was thrown wide open. The seven angels who were holding the seven plagues came out of the temple. They were clothed in spotless white linen with gold sashes across their chests. Then one of the four living beings handed each of the seven angels a gold bowl filled with the wrath of God, who lives forever and ever. The temple was filled with smoke from God's glory and power. No one could enter the temple until the seven angels had completed pouring out the seven plagues. That is chapter 15 in its entirety, uh, chapter 15 of the book of Revelation. There are two numbers that appear in chapter 15. Let's take a look at them. The number four appears once, and the number seven appears nine times. Let's begin with talking about the number four. So we have ten numbers uh, appearing in chapter 15 of the book of Revelation. Let's begin with talking about the number four. So our goal is to unlock the secrets in the book of Revelation, to understand the book of Revelation from start to finish. So let's go to the number four. Verse seven says, Then one of the four living beings handed each of the seven angels a gold bowl filled with the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. Now, Four living beings. 
Verse 7 of chapter 15 began with, then one of the four living beings. Let's identify who these four living beings are. If we go back, which we're going to do now, to John's report on heaven. So recall that the book of Revelation has six parts. It has a preface. Then it has a formal conclusion. Then it has seven letters to seven churches. That's the third part. The fourth part is John's report on heaven. The fifth part, that's the bulk of the book of Revelation, the visions, the moving pictures with uh, sound, the movies, the documentaries, chapter 5 to verse 5 of chapter 22, and then a formal conclusion. So the book of Revelation has six parts. The fourth part is John's report on heaven. Now here in verse 7, of chapter 15 in the seven plagues prophecy, it says, then one of the four living beings handed each of the seven angels a gold bowl. So now our task is to make sure we understand who these four living beings are. So going back to chapter four, when John the revelator was called up to heaven, and I want to share that uh the beginning of chapter 4. So it says in Revelation chapter 4, John says at the beginning of chapter 4, verse 1, Then as I looked, I saw a door standing open in heaven. And then later in the verse, a voice says to John the Revelator, quote, Come up here and I will show you what must happen after this. So John the Revelator is on the Isle of Patmos and he's literally instructed to come up to heaven, and he does this. So once he gets to heaven, he sees lots of things. For example, he says, um, I saw a throne in heaven and someone sitting on it. Then he says, the one sitting on the throne was as brilliant as gemstones, like Jasper and Carnelian. Later, he says in verse 4, 24 thrones surrounded him and 24 elders sat on them. So when he was called up to heaven, who's there? So heaven is a big place. Every, how do we know it's a big place? Every person who died in Christ is in heaven. So that's not only your grandmother, your grandfather, maybe um, your brother or sister or son or daughter or niece or nephew or cousin, neighbor, coworker. But all of the people who were born and who uh, experienced the first death before any of us were here on this earth, going back decades, centuries, and millennia. So heaven is a big place. So John the Revelator is in a specific place when he goes to heaven. Just like if somebody said, "I'm, I'm going to leave." Uh, I'm going to leave Canada. Let's say someone lives in Vancouver, says, I'm leaving Canada to go visit the United States. Well, the United States is very large. So where specifically is a person going? So John the Revelator is not everywhere in heaven. He's a specific location. And later, we're going to hear in verse 15, he's, in, uh, he's talking about the temple. So specifically where God lives in heaven. That's what he's talking about. Um, but for now, we're at the beginning, and he's called up to heaven in chapter 4. So he sees one sitting on the throne, and he sees uh, 24 elders 
surrounding the one sitting on the throne. And then let's continue. Who else is there? In verse 6, he says, In the center and around the throne were four living beings. Okay, so let's back up for a second. He says, the one sitting on the throne was as brilliant as gemstones, like Jasper and Carnelian. Okay, so that's God the Father. Surrounding God the Father are 24 elders. And now, in front of the throne, which throne is that? Um, It says, and in front of the throne were seven torches with burning flames. This is the sevenfold spirit of God. And then, in the center and around the throne... So, so far in terms of sentient beings, we have God the Father, 24 elders. Now, here's the number four. In the center and around the throne were four living beings, each covered with eyes front and back. The first of these living beings was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a human face, and the fourth was like an eagle in flight. Each of these living beings, so talking about the four living beings uh, reported here in chapter 4 and referenced again in chapter 15, each of these living beings had six wings. Now, when you think about wings, what do you think of? If you're like me, you're thinking about an angel. So I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Let's look at – I'm going to go to Bible Hub so we can look at – This verse, Revelation 4, verses 6 to 7, so I'm in, maybe I don't mean to go to Bible, uh, maybe I mean to go to Bible Gate A, let's see, no, I think I meant to go to Bible Hub. So we're going to look at a couple of translations so that we can get a very good understanding of uh, this language. So Revelation 4, verse 6, our goal is to understand what are the four living beings, that number four referenced in Revelation chapter 15. So looking at the King James Version, it says, And before the throne, there was a sea of glass like unto crystal. And in the midst of the throne and round about the throne were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. The New King James Version translates the four uh, living beings as four living creatures full of eyes in front and in back. Looking at the NIV, it says, Uh, Around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and back. Looking at the Amplified Classic translation, it says, In the center and around the throne were four living creatures who were full of eyes in front and behind. And so we see creatures used a lot. Four living creatures, uh, a few translations say four beasts, including the King James translation, um, looking at the Good News translation, they also use the language for living creatures. So most often we see the language for living 
creatures. Uh, the Webster's Bible translation says four living beings. Okay. So uh, for those of you who are sticklers for the King James Version, note that that translation says four. Uh, that translation says uh, beasts. were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. Most translations I see are using the language living creatures. Okay, so let's go back to uh, talking about verse 7. In front of uh, the first of these living beings, so talking about the four beasts, the four living creatures, was like a lion, the second was like an ox, the third had a human face, and the fourth was like an eagle in flight. So something really important to note is the use of animals here is different than the use of animals in Revelation chapter uh, 13 and in Revelation chapter 20. For example, in Revelation 20, dragon is used, but then dragon is defined as Satan. In Revelation 13, we have a description of uh, a ten, uh, a beast with ten heads, the same beast described in Daniel chapter 7, and in that instance those beasts are describing nations so in revelation 20 we're actually in the millennial reign prophecy in revelation chapter 13 we're in the 666 antichrist prophecy in revelation chapter 4 we're in john's report of heaven so he's not speaking metaphorically he's not um uh, he's not uh, speaking with parables, he's being transparent and giving us a, a report as if he was a police officer or a reporter witnessing some important event and recording it so that others would know exactly what happened. So when John the Revelator says to us in his report on heaven, this is the fourth part of the book of Revelation, John's report on heaven, when he says there were four living beings, and then he goes on to give us a description, he's giving us an actual description. And so, again, he's not in a vision. He's in literal present heaven. In other words, the heaven that existed at his time, the heaven that continues to exist today, but at the time uh, that he was on the earth, he was in heaven then, so that was about 2,000 years ago. And when he was in heaven, he saw four living beings, and he's actually giving us a visual description. So if you went outside and you, you saw some children playing, you could give us this, a description. Let's say there were four children. Uh, well, one child's wearing a blue shirt, uh, jeans, and white sneakers. Another child has on a yellow skirt and a white top. The third child had red hair, and she was wearing green sneakers, a green dress, and a white hat. You, you, you would go on like that to give a description of the four children you, you saw. So what we have in Revelation chapter 4, again, John's report on heaven is an actual report these are real descriptions. If you are an artist, you could sketch this out to help bring to life uh, the visual. Interestingly, sometimes when people are trying to find someone, 
and they don't have a, a picture, they take a report, um, they ask questions, they take a report, and then they create a picture from that. So maybe you have that talent and you could draw these four living beings. Let's hear, now that we're clear that these are real living beings, and this is exactly what they look like from the perspective of John the Revelator. So one of the living beings was like a lion, he says. He says the second one was like an ox. The third one had a human face. So he says the third one had a human face. That causes me to think that the first one had a lion face. Now, he doesn't say that. He says the first of these living beings was like a lion. Well, how was it like a lion? Did it smell like a lion? I doubt it. Did it um, Did it roar like a lion? He doesn't say that. Did it have feet like a lion? Well, is, are the feet of a lion so different than, like, the feet of um, a jaguar or the feet of something like, like that? So because he says the first of these living beings was like a lion, the second was like an ox, the third had a human face, it's causing me to think that the first has the face of a lion, the second has the face of an ox, but he doesn't say that. Um, but somehow it's like a lion, uh, the first one, the first living being. The second is somehow like an ox. The third has a human face, so a literal human face. And the fourth, it says, was like an eagle in flight. So an eagle in flight has its wings spread. So that is what I'm thinking. He says, was like an eagle in a flight. Well, what is he, exactly does he mean? I wish he gave even greater specificity. Somehow it's like an eagle in flight. My perception is that means that the wings were somehow um, out so that you could see them and they looked like eagle's wings. Okay. And also maybe it has the face of an eagle. I don't know. Verse 8. Each of these living beings had six wings. So we know what each one looks like somehow with one having a human face and then one having the likeness somehow of a lion, one the likeness somehow of an ox, one somehow um, like an eagle in flight. All four of these living beings have six wings. And it says, and their wings were covered all over with eyes. Now, this is really, really interesting. Um, I happen to be interested in Sasquatch, Bigfoot. I'm curious about whether um, the Sasquatch really exists or not. I don't know. It used to be that the giant squid was re reported as a myth, but then some years ago they found Architeuchus. That's the name they give to the actual giant squid. Uh, they found some pieces of it that um, had washed up on shore. Scientists got their hands on it and said, yes, this is, in fact, a giant squid. And then now we have video footage of an actual living giant squid. So it's gone from being myth to being a documented reality, the giant squid. So 50 years ago they said, oh, it's a myth, it's a myth, even though uh, sailors for uh, centuries have been saying, no, we actually saw a giant squid. The scientists said, well, we don't, we don't have a specimen, you know, we don't believe you. We're scientists. Where's evidence? And so now they have the evidence. So maybe someday we'll have the evidence uh, of Sasquatch. I don't know. We have evidence here, though. We have evidence that there are living beings who have wings, and uh, the wings are covered with eyes. It says inside and out. So if you're picturing this, there are four living beings, 
Each one has a different likeness. One has the face of a human, but the others have different faces. Uh, but all four of them have something in common, which all four have six wings. And these wings have eyes all over them, inside and out. Now, we have two eyes. Uh, that gives us lots of vision, but these living beings have uh, many eyes. Their wings are all covered with eyes, so they can see uh, if they're in flight. I imagine that they have the wings so that they can be in flight. They're going to be able to see above, uh, below, to the left, and to the right. We have to turn our heads, right? If I want to see what's happening um, 180 degrees behind me, I have to literally turn my head um, at least 90 degrees to even see it out of my peripheral vision but probably more than that to see it well. But if somehow I, and if you were able to have eyes in front of your head and behind your head, you could you could have a 360 view, right? Because you could use your peripheral vision to get 90 degrees from the eyes in the front and then your peripheral vision to get the other 90 from behind. Take home point. These living beings, the four living beings, have amazing vision because they have eyes inside and outside of their six wings. Okay. Then um, John the Revelator says in his report on heaven, day and night, day after day and night after night, they keep on saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, the one who always was, who is, and who is still to come. Whenever the living beings give glory and honor and thanks to the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down and worship the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever. So remember, sitting on the throne in heaven, John the Revelator sees God the Father. Then also we're told, now later we're going to see he also sees Jesus Christ, Lamb of God. But so far we hear God the Father, uh, the 24 elders, and these four living beings, now, even though the King James translation uses the language beasts, that is not the same thing as the beast. So the beast is used in most translations. For example, in uh, Revelation 13, the beast is referring to the Ten Nation Alliance. The beast refers to the Antichrist. And then we're told at the end of the 666 Antichrist that there's another beast, which is referring to the false prophet. So almost always in the Bible, the beast is referring to something that is under the leadership of Satan, uh, following the agenda of Satan. An exception, if you're using the King James translation of the Bible, is here in Revelation chapter 4, and you say, well, how do you know that this isn't something, um, these creatures are not team Satan? Well, we know because it says, day after day and night after night, they keep on saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, the one who always was, who is, and who is still to come. So these are living beings that are um, in front of God the Father, and they are worshiping God the Father. So certainly they're not team Satan. Okay. Um, so the four living beings, let us go back to the seven plagues prophecy. Revelation chapter 15, verse 7 says, 
Then one of the four living beings handed each of the seven angels a gold bowl filled with the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. So these four living beings that John saw way back in chapter 4 when he was called up to heaven, now he's out he's not in in a He's not in a new vision yet. He's in heaven, and he's about to be shown another vision in chapter 15. So he's literally um, in heaven where, and the specific location where he is in heaven is he's at a place where he can see God's temple. How do we know that? Verse 5 says, Then I looked and saw that the temple in heaven, God's tabernacle, was thrown wide open. The seven angels who were holding the seven plagues came out of their temple. They were clothed in spotless white linen with gold sashes across their chest. Then one of the four living beings handed each of the seven angels a gold bowl. So he doesn't say that he is in the temple, but where he was, he could see the temple in heaven and that this temple, which is referred to as God's tabernacle, was thrown wide open. Okay, so the temple is open. John the Revelator is standing in heaven and he's looking in there. Now imagine if you and I had the opportunity to time travel. We could go back to this day and we could accompany John uh, on his trip to present heaven. If we were standing there with John, we would see the abode of God the Father, the house of God the Father, which is God's tabernacle, his temple in heaven. And so John didn't go in it, but he's looking, and he can look in there, not just look at it, but he can actually look inside because it says um, it was thrown wide open. So what about this number four? As a part of the events, the events that include the wrath of God, the seven plagues, the seven final plagues, who are the key players? Uh, well, four of the key players are these four living beings. Well, what's their role? It says, then one of the four living beings handed each of the seven angels a gold bowl filled with the wrath of God. So we're going to move on from here, but now I hope that we have a good foundation for understanding who are the key players. Well, the first four key players are these living beings who are team Jesus. These living beings, one is like an ox, one is like a lion, one has a human face, one is like an eagle in flight, and they have wings, each one six wings. And now they hand to seven angels a gold bowl filled with the wrath of God. So at the beginning, at the beginning of the wrath of God are these four living beings. They set it off. They set it off. Who sets off the seven final plagues? Well, according to the book of Revelation, it's the four living beings. 
described in Revelation chapter 4 and their activities, their key role in the seven final plagues is uh, reported here for us in Revelation 15. Now, let us go to the number seven. So in Revelation 15, ten numbers appear. The number four appears once. We've heard that. And now we're going to focus on the number seven. The number seven appears nine times. Let's start from the beginning. So in verse one, John the Revelator tells us seven angels were holding the seven last plagues. So there's seven angels. Seven angels are key players with the seven final plagues. So there are so far 11 key players. But that's interesting, that uh, 7-11. I'm thinking of 7-11. So there are 11 key players, the four living beings, and now seven angels. And what are the seven angels doing? Well, to begin, they're holding the seven last plagues. Recall that God used plagues during the time of Moses to communicate his displeasure with those who were outside of his will, those who were oppressing his people, God's holy people. Uh, And before his second coming, he will use plagues again to communicate what? His displeasure with who? Those who are oppressing his holy people, those oppressing the Jews who will be worshiping their God, the one God, in the rebuilt temple, the third temple, which is shortly to be be rebuilt on the Temple Mount. So there will be oppression of the Jewish people. Jewish people, uh, specifically we're talking about Jewish people in Israel, those who are worshiping, they're worshiping God, in the rebuilt temple using the ashes of the red heifer. And God's holy people also includes the church, those who have found and followed God's plan for salvation. So there's the original branch, and then there are those of us who have been grafted in. Both are part of God's holy people. Okay. So there are seven angels, and there are seven final plagues. Let's keep going. That's in verse 1, what we just heard. Next, talking specifically about the seven bowls of the seven plagues, let's go to verse 6. The seven angels who were holding the seven plagues came out of the temple. That's verse 6. Then it says uh, in verse 7, as we talked about before, then one of the four living beings handed each of the seven angels a gold bowl filled with the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. Let's pause there for a second. So how exactly is this working? They're the four living beings who are there in the temple. One of the living beings, so we're not told which one that it is. So it could be the one who's uh, like an eagle in flight. It could be the one with the human face. 
It could be the one who's like an ox or the one who's like a lion. It doesn't tell us which of the four living beings, but it says one of them, not all of them, but one of them is tasked with the responsibility of giving each angel one gold bowl. So how does this happen? This is so important. This is so important. So the wrath of Satan is the great tribulation. Happens during the final seven years preceding the second coming of Jesus Christ. It's three and a half years. That's shared with us in Revelation chapter 13, Revelation chapter 12. So there's the wrath of Satan, the great tribulation. A time of great tribulation for those who are team Jesus. Those who worship the one God, hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one. Following the great tribulation, which is the wrath of Satan, is the wrath of God. So it says here, then one of the four living beings handed each of the seven angels a gold bowl filled with the wrath of God. So we are talking about the wrath of God In Revelation chapter 15, the wrath of God happens after the wrath of Satan. It is a time of great tribulation for those who are team Satan. The great tribulation is a time of great tribulation for those who are team Jesus. The wrath of God is a time of great tribulation for those who are team Satan. Now, who are the key players? After one of the four living beings hands out these seven bowls, then the action begins. So one of these four living beings, we're told, hands to each angel a gold bowl. So um, each angel has in the angel's possession singularly one bowl. So it doesn't, uh, each angel doesn't get seven bowls. Um, some don't get two or three. There are seven angels for seven bowls. So each angel has that special responsibility, which is going to be, as we see in Chapter 16, pouring out what's in the bowl. Some uh, translations use the language vials. So pouring out the vials, pouring out the bowls, each bowl, it says, is filled with the wrath of God. Let's continue. Verse 8 says, the temple was filled with smoke from God's glory and power. No one could enter the temple until the seven angels had completed pouring out the seven plagues. So the seven angels are going to complete pouring out the seven plagues. That's their responsibility. That's their assignment. So let's go over these numbers. There are four living beings who are in the temple immediately before, uh, let's say it this way, at the beginning of the actions that result in God's wrath with the seven final plagues. There are four living beings. Then one of the four is singled out and tasked with the responsibility of handing out 
seven gold bowls. The angel, uh, excuse me, the living creature, the living being, takes each bowl and gives one to one angel. Then that same living being gives uh, another bowl to a second angel, and then another bowl to a third one, then another to a fourth one, and so on until the last bowl is distributed to the appropriate angel, and each angel has its own bowl containing the wrath of God. And it's a gold bowl. Interestingly, somehow John knew Quote, no one could enter the temple until the seven angels had completing pouring out the seven plagues. Now, earlier in verse 5, it refers to the temple as the temple in heaven, God's tabernacle. So this is a big deal. This is a very big deal. Um, It appears that everyone needs to focus on this, not be doing any other activities in the temple, don't even enter the temple. Focus on this activity. What activity? The wrath of God. The wrath of God culminates. The wrath of God culminates uh, with the seven final plagues. It tells us earlier that, talking about completion, in verse 1 of chapter 15, Seven angels were holding the seven last plagues, which would bring God's wrath to completion. Now, you might remember that Israel is suffering. The Jewish people are suffering because of their idolatry, because of their adultery. But God says that his wrath will be complete after 490 years elsewhere in the Bible. 70 sets of seven, 490 years. So 483 of these years have already happened. Now, these years happen in three parts, as described in the book of Daniel. We're focused on the book of Revelation, so I just want to reference Daniel's chapter 7 and 9. But here's the key part that connects to the book of Revelation and what we're talking about. We are waiting Daniel's 70th week. What's that? That's the final seven-year period. You say, well, how can it be a final seven-year period if Jesus Christ, when he comes, if he's going to rule and reign on this present earth for a 1,000 years? Well, it's the final seven years of God being mad at Israel. So in other words, if somebody you love hurt you really bad, you're not going to stop loving that person, but you you might need a break. (laughs) You might say, I need a break from you, and you need a break from me. And that is what God did. That's what we're told in the Bible. Now, how did he take a break? He said, I'm mad at you. You have hurt me. You've cheated on me. You've committed adultery by worshiping false gods. 
They were doing all kinds of things, astrology, uh, tarot, witchcraft, palm reading, uh, worshiping um, Moloch and Baal and giving food to false gods and idols. They were doing all kinds of things that uh, God refers to as cheating, as adultery. It hurt him. He tells us it hurt him. He needed a break. And so he took a break from Israel in the sense that he withdrew his protection. He withdrew his uh, his watching over and intervening. But he says, but I'm not done with you after 490 years. I won't be mad at you anymore. And I'll come back, and you'll love me again, and I will be free to show you my love again. And this time, you'll never, ever cheat on me again, and I'll never, ever withdraw my love and protection from you again. Now, that's the story of Israel. That's the story of what is happening with the biological descendants of Abraham who are uh, from the 12 tribes and born from Sarah. Another group includes those of us who are part of the wild olive tree, those of us who were grafted in, the Gentiles. Now, what's the relevance? The second coming of Jesus Christ doesn't happen when God's no longer mad at the Gentiles. It happens when he's no longer mad at the Jews. He's not mad at us Gentiles. Um, I'm going to pause there. I really want to focus on the number seven. And uh, let me highlight again the second coming of Jesus Christ happens at the end of a seven-year period referenced in the book of Daniel. And that seven-year period begins, it begins uh, with the signing of the confirmation of the covenant. Now, you're going to know, now, we don't know the exact day and hour that Jesus Christ is coming, but we know the season. We're not children of the night, we're children of the day, the Bible tells us. Now, what's the season? The end of the seven-year period, it begins with the signing of the confirmation of the covenant. That is the document which nations of the world will sign, and it will give the green light. It will give the green light for Israel to rebuild its temple. Do you know that God the Father... The Bible says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one. There's no temple on the temple mount where God's people can worship their God. That's a problem. Now, the Muslims can worship their God in the mosque on the temple mount, but the Jewish people who live in Israel, which came back together again as a nation supernaturally in 1948, they have no temple there, and they have been prohibited from building their temple. Now, it's a very big deal. The second temple 
the second temple was destroyed in 70 AD. So we're not talking about 1970 or 1870 or 1570. We're talking about 070. So that's a mighty long time that we've been waiting for this prophecy to come to pass. And that's a long time for there to be no temple where the God, our one God, can be worshipped on the land that he promised uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob on that specific location where the temple is supposed to be, where God wants it to be, where it's ordained to be. But it's coming. And importantly, when that document is signed, the confirmation of the covenant, that's the beginning of the seven-year period. Within that seven-year period, is tribulation so that's a very big deal we look forward to uh that time when the seven-year period begins because then we know the season of his coming so in the future i hope to talk more about the book of daniel and uh daniel's 70th week today we've been talking about the seven plagues prophecy in the book of revelation And uh, let us continue with hearing chapter 16, the seven final plagues. So we have a very strong foundation. Now we know who the key players are, the four living beings, the seven angels. Let's hear what what happens. How, How does it all happen? So now we're going to the documentary in its entirety. Here it is. Revelation chapter 16. Then I heard a mighty voice from the temple say to the seven angels, Go your ways and pour out on the earth the seven bowls containing God's wrath. So the first angel left the temple and poured out his bowl on the earth. And horrible malignant sores broke out on everyone who had the mark of the beast and who worshipped his statue. Okay, so one down, six to go. The wrath of God is complete when all seven plagues, all seven bowls have been poured out. When all seven bowls have been poured out, the first angel completes that angel's assignment. And again, the wrath of God is a time of great tribulation for those who are team Satan. The great tribulation, which is the wrath of Satan, is a time of great tribulation for those who are team Jesus. So when you read Revelation chapter 16, when you hear Revelation 16, and it's talking about the seven final plagues, you know that this is the wrath of God, and it is a time of great tribulation for those who are team Satan. Let's continue. Then the second angel poured out his bowl on the sea. Wait, let me back up for a second. You might say, well, are you sure? Let's hear again verse 2. So the first angel left the temple, what temple? The temple in heaven, and poured out his bowl on the earth, and horrible malignant sores broke out on everyone. So a malignant sore is a cancerous sore. But this cancer doesn't come on everyone who is a human being. It says everyone who had the mark of the beast and who worshipped his statue. Everyone who had the mark of the beast and who worshipped his statue, that includes uh, singularly those who are team Satan. 
Then the second angel poured out his bowl on the sea, and it became like the blood of a corpse, and everything in the sea died. Then the third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and springs, and they became blood. And I heard the angel who had authority over all water saying, You are just, O Holy One, who is and who always was, because you have sent these judgments since they shed the blood of your holy people and your prophets. You have given them blood to drink. It is their just reward. So who's given blood to drink? Those people who have shed the blood of God's holy people and his prophets. So those who are team Jesus haven't shed the blood of God's prophets, of uh, the Christians, of the Jews worshiping their one God in the third temple. No, it's those who are team Satan, those under the leadership of the Antichrist and under the ministry of the false prophet. Those are the individuals who have shed the blood of God's holy people and God's prophets during the great tribulation. And so what's their reward? It says you have given them blood to drink. So the blood to drink is not for those who are team Jesus. It's for those who are team Satan. It says it is their just reward. Continuing, verse 7, and I heard a voice from the altar saying, so we're in chapter 16, verse 7, looking at the seven plagues prophecy, verse 7 says, and I heard a voice from the altar saying, yes, O Lord God, the Almighty, your judgments are true and just. Then the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, causing it to scorch everyone with its fire. Everyone was burned by this blast of heat, and they cursed the name of God who had control over all these plagues. They did not repent of their sins and turn to God and give him glory. Now, this is really important and interesting. So it says, everyone was burned by this blast of heat. Everyone means everyone. Everyone doesn't mean most, 85%, 70%, 51%. 99%. Everyone means 100%. Everyone. So it says, everyone was burned by this blast of heat. And then it says, and they cursed the name of God. Then later it says, they did not repent of their sins and turn to God and give him glory. This specific verse, uh, verse 9, but also verse 8, really leads me to believe It really leads me to believe that the first resurrection has already happened. Now, I can't say for sure. I'm still studying this, but I'll tell you why. It says everyone was burned by this blast of heat. And everyone actually means everyone. So it doesn't say everyone who had the mark of the beast. It says everyone. Okay, let's continue. Verse 10. Then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and his kingdom was plunged into darkness. His subjects ground their teeth in anguish, and they cursed the God of heaven for their pains and sores, but they did not repent of their evil deeds and turn to God. So now we're five down, two to go. What do do we mean by that? We're waiting for God's wrath to come to completion. It doesn't happen until... The seven uh, 
bowls have been poured out. When each bowl is poured out by an angel, the consequence happens on the present earth. And here, when the fifth angel does it, he goes to the throne of the beast. What's the throne of the beast? The headquarters of the Antichrist. Now, where will the headquarters be? I believe it will be in Europe. Where specifically, I don't know. Is it going to be in Geneva or London or uh, Zurich? I, I don't know exactly where. I don't see in the Bible where it tells us exactly where the headquarters for the Antichrist is. But we are told that the angel goes to the headquarters of the Antichrist and his kingdom is plunged into darkness. There's a blackout. Beyond this, all of those who are team Satan following the leadership of the Antichrist, they're in anguish. So not only is there a blackout at headquarters, but all of these people who have taken the mark of the beast and who have been worshiping the statue commissioned by the false prophet as described in Revelation 13, the statue of the beast, now they're grinding their teeth. So sometimes people grind their teeth because weird things are happening while they sleep. But here it says they're grinding their teeth in anguish. So these people are not asleep. They're awake. And what do they do? They curse the God of heaven for their pains and sores. Now, they're having pains. And what are these sores? Remember, the malignant sores that happened when the first angel poured out the vial. So the people who take the mark of the beast are going to be cursed by God with a malignant sore. God is going to put cancer, cancer, cancer on everyone who has taken the mark of the beast, those who are team Satan. Now, it hasn't gone away by the time that the blackout happens at headquarters for the Antichrist. They're... they're still cursing God, failing to repent of their sins because they have pains and sores. So they have continued, they have persisted. Um, it says, but they did not repent of their evil deeds and turn to God. Then the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great Euphrates River and it dried up so that the kings of the east could march their armies toward the west without hindrance. Now we're getting somewhere. Where are we getting? We're getting to the Battle of Armageddon. You say, well, why is that somewhere? Jesus Christ puts his feet on this present earth to fight and win the battle of Armageddon. So there's the first resurrection. He's in the clouds. We meet him there. That's exciting. We transition from mortality to immortality. Uh, just as exciting is when he takes back the earth. I'm tired of war. I'm tired of rapists, murderers, killers, uh, liars, and thieves doing whatever they want, and half of them or more, they seem to get away with it. They go to court, and there's a wink and a nod, and then they're out later that day. Friend and truth seeker, there's a day coming where the kingdoms, the governments, of men will be put down and the government of Jesus Christ will be established. And one of the first things that he does is he appoints judges. It's described in Revelation 20, the millennial reign prophecy. So now 
here we are, the wrath of God is being poured out. We're getting somewhere with the sixth angel pours out his bowl. The Euphrates River is dried up supernaturally. Why is that important? Now, so if you watch some documentaries and read news reports, th- different things are happening with water levels around the world, including water levels uh, of the Euphrates River. Those things are interesting. But this is talking about the the river actually being dried up supernaturally, dried up to the point um, to the point where armies, not one or two or three or four people, but millions of people in armies, they're going to cross that path, which is now dried up. So right now it's a river that's going to be dried up supernaturally. And then they're going to be like, oh, it's, we're, we're, the Antichrist is going to say, we, it's about time for us to take Jerusalem. It's time for us to uh, capture all the Jewish people who have been worshiping their God we got to take them out. we got to take over Jerusalem. It's time. And so how is he going to get the armies? So different countries in the world will donate their armies. So the armies will all be together under the leadership of the Antichrist and the kings of the world. How are they going to actually enter Israel? They're going to travel the path of the great Euphrates River, thinking that they're on their way to a glorious uh, a glorious overthrowing of Israel, but they're on their way to their doom. A hundred percent of them are going to uh, die by the sword of Jesus Christ. A hundred percent. A hundred percent, we're told in Revelation 19. And the Antichrist and false prophet have a worse fate. They have a worse fate. They're going to be thrown into the lake of fire, the second death. That's permanent. They're not going to even get to go to court to have their cases heard, they're going straight to Gehenna. They're going straight to hell, the second death. So the hell has different parts. There's Hades. That's a location where there's prisons of darkness. Then there's Gehenna. That's the lake of fire. Now let's stay here where we are, Revelation 16. Then the sixth angel poured out his bowl in the great Euphrates River, and it dried up so that the kings from the east could march their armies toward the west. Without hindrance. And I saw three evil spirits that looked like frogs leap from the mouths of the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. Now, these are the key players, uh, the key players during the time of the wrath of Satan. Who are they? The dragon. That's Satan. The beast. That's the Antichrist. And the false prophet. That's another beast. So we have Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet. That'll be the Pope in place at that time. We'll be talking about that in August, the Pope, the role of the Pope in the purple and scarlet prophecy. We'll be talking about that in August. But for now, here we are in Revelation 16. It says, And I saw three evil spirits that looked like frogs leap from the mouths of the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. They are demonic spirits who work miracles and go out to all the rulers of the world to gather them for battle against the Lord on that great judgment day of God, the Almighty. So many interesting things in verses 13 and 14. Key points. When the sixth angel pours out his bowl, the Euphrates River drives up supernaturally. In this same timing, what's happening on the earth is that demonic spirits 
are actually performing miracles. And uh, rulers of the world, they're going to be so taken when the Antichrist stands in the rebuilt temple and he says that he's got a lot of people, most people, most people will believe him. Why are they going to believe him? Because he's working in tandem with the false prophet who's performing miracles. And now we're told not only will the false prophet perform miracles under uh, using the supernatural power of Satan, but also demonic spirits will work miracles on behalf of the Antichrist and Satan. So the miracles are just going to be happening left and right. It's it's going to be amazing, uh, but amazing in a terrible way. There's amazing in a great way, and there's amazing in a terrible way. This is amazing. Any in the supernatural realm is so real, friend and truth seeker. So today, lots of people don't believe in the supernatural realm, particularly those who are atheists are going to be very, uh, very vulnerable to being fooled by satan because when they see supernatural power they say it has to be god when in fact supernatural power can be supernatural power of god or the supernatural power of satan it's important for us to know that miracles miracles healings can happen uh miracles fire falling from heaven through the power of god or through the power of satan so we must understand where we are in time, and we must see whether people are professing Jesus Christ or if they're professing the Antichrist or Satan or the Pope. Are they worshiping the Pope or are they worshiping the Lord our God? Let's continue. It says, the rulers of the world will be gathered for battle against the Lord on that great judgment day of God, the Almighty, so what's the great judgment day of God? This is very important. So there's the battle of Armageddon. That's referred to here as judgment day. And then in Revelation 20, there's also another judgment day, but that's referred to as the great white throne judgment. So this is judgment, the battle of Armageddon, for the Antichrist, the false prophet, and their armies. It's judgment for them. That's what this is talking about, the battle of Armageddon. Then verse 15 says, look, I will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Blessed are all who are watching for me. Now, who's watching for me? Who's watching for Jesus Christ? You're watching for Jesus Christ. I'm watching for Jesus Christ. Now, now when, when is his second coming imminent? When that green light happens. When the confirmation of the covenant happens, when you turn on Al Jazeera or BBC or Newsy, MSNBC, Fox News, Bloomberg Radio, when you turn on Daily Mail, whatever you're listening to or reading, the Washington Post, the Chicago uh, Sun-Times, the New York Post, the New York Times, when you see a credible report and that report communicates, that Israel, the nation of Israel, has been given permission to rebuild its temple. 
It's going to be all kinds of celebrations. It's going to be major news. People are going to be very excited. They're going to say, finally, we're going to have peace between the Jews and the Muslims. Finally, there's going to be peace in Middle East, in the Middle East, but it's not true. There will be the appearance of peace. They're going to be great celebrations. People are going to be excited to have uh, Muslims worshiping in their mosque on the Temple Mount and Jews worshiping and the temple on the same temple mount, they're going to say, this is amazing. This hasn't happened in thousands of years. Truly, peace has come to this earth. But it's a lie. It's a false peace. Now, remember, Jesus Christ is the prince of peace. In Isaiah chapter 9, it says, and of the increase of his government and his peace, there shall be no end. But this peace that's coming When the signing of the confirmation of the covenant happens, it's a temporary peace. It lasts a short while. It lasts a very short while. Once the green light is given for Israel's temple to be rebuilt, it'll be rebuilt. They already have the blueprints. They already have the red heifer, which is needed, uh, the ashes of the red heifer, to use in the ceremonies. They have the blueprints ready they actually have all of the furniture for the temple those uh, priests who uh, need to perform the daily sacrifices and the special sacrifices they have been trained so things are ready to go we're only awaiting that green light now it says here in verse 15 look I will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Blessed are all who are watching for me. So how do you watch? If you're a reader of the book of Revelation, how do you watch for the second coming of Jesus Christ? You're watching for that third temple to be rebuilt. That temple referred to in the seven trumpets prophecy. That temple referred to in the book of Daniel. But in the Revelation, In the seven trumpets prophecy, Revelation verse 1, chapter 8, to the end of chapter 11, in that seven trumpets prophecy, there's reference to this temple. It's not on the earth right now, but it's coming. So we watch for the rebuilding of the temple. That is the beginning. The signing of the confirmation of the covenant is the beginning of Daniel's 70th week, and then shortly thereafter, the temple will be rebuilt. So you're looking for, I am looking for, all of us who are blessed to be watching for Jesus Christ, we're looking for the signing of the confirmation of the covenant and the subsequent rebuilding of that temple because that's the temple that the Antichrist will stand in and declare that he is God. When he declares that he is God, that's day one of the Great Tribulation. The wrath of Satan, the Great Tribulation, is followed by the wrath of God. (laughs) See, we're getting somewhere. We're getting somewhere. Now let's continue. Verse 16 says, Uh, Let's go back to verse 15. Look, I will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Blessed are all who are watching for me, who keep their clothing ready, so they will not have to walk around naked and ashamed. And the demonic spirits gathered all the rulers and their armies to a place with the Hebrew name Armageddon. So the final result of the sixth angel pouring out the sixth bowl is that all of the armies 
all of the armies that are working under the leadership of the Antichrist. And so when we look at Ezekiel and Isaiah, we hear more about these armies. Revelation chapter 19, uh, so certain nations will contribute armies. So when these, the, the culminating consequence or action of the sixth vow being poured out is that everyone is in place. Everyone who is team Satan is in place where they need to be so that God, when he arrives, he can take them out. So God, uh, it's, it's like this. If we were going to watch, if we were going to watch the next great fight, let's say we were going to watch a boxing match, a heavyweight championship of the world. And so when one fighter is in the ring, that's a start. He, we need the fighter to int, not only walk in the arena, so not only come to uh, Israel, and how they're going to get to Israel, they're going to go across the path of the Euphrates River, River to get there, but we need the fighter to enter that ring that's in the shape of a square, it's blue, it's set up for the boxing match. So Armageddon, that specific location, that's the location that God has set up. He's saying, okay, I'm, I'm coming to fight my enemy. Remember Mike Tyson was fighting Evander Holyfield? That was a great fight. They didn't fight everywhere. They fought in a specific location. So when Jesus Christ comes to fight, he's not fighting his enemies. Who are his key enemies? The Antichrist and the false prophets. He's not fighting them everywhere. He's not fighting the Antichrist in Washington, D.C. He's not fighting the false prophet in Johannesburg or Mexico City or Vancouver or Lisbon or Garland, Texas. He's fighting the Antichrist and the false prophet in a specific location, Israel, and um Let's talk a little bit about that location. So Armageddon. Armageddon, I want to give you guys, um, is translated as, uh, according to some, the hill of Megiddo. That's what I'm seeing here. Okay. Let us continue. I think in the future I want to talk more about that. Verse 17. Then the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a mighty shout came from the throne and temple saying, It is finished. Now why why does the voice say it's finished? Remember, the wrath of God comes to completion after the seventh bowl is poured out. So when it says the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, then a shout comes from the throne saying it's finished. So what's the throne? That's the throne either where God the Father is sitting or Jesus Christ is sitting. So it is finished, meaning finally God's wrath has come to completion. Now what happens? Then the 
Thunder crashed and rolled and lightning flashed. And a great earthquake struck, the worst since people were placed on the earth. The great city of Babylon split into three sections. And the cities of many nations fell into heaps of rubble. So God remembered all of Babylon's sins. And he made her drink the cup that was filled with the wine of his fierce wrath. And every island disappeared and all the mountains were level. By the way, talking about what happens to Babylon, verses 19 and 20, there's a whole vision that John the Revelator was shown, the purple and scarlet prophecy. We're going to be talking about it in August. The whole documentary just about this part of God's wrath. So it is a big deal. The headquarters of the false prophet the leader of the harlot church is going to be destroyed. And God cares about this so much that he created a documentary, which John the Revelator was shown just about this part of his wrath. Chapters 18, 19, as well as verses 1 to 5, all about what's referenced here in verses 19 and 20. Let's continue. Verse 21 says, there was a terrible hailstorm, and hailstones weighing as much as 75 pounds fell from the sky onto the people below. They cursed God because of the terrible plague of the hailstorm. That is the seven plagues prophecy in its entirety. Now, what happens after the seventh and final plague? The Battle of Armageddon, Revelation 19, verses 6 to 21. So there's the wrath of God. It comes to completion with the seven final plagues, and then we have the Battle of Armageddon where Jesus Christ actually puts his feet on this present earth and he fights and wins the war to end all wars. Friend and truth seeker, I want to ask you to consider being with me and being with us on a regular basis. So this is the program on PGN, uh, Secrets Revealed, Understand the Book of Revelation from Start to Finish. It is a book that has 12 documentaries in it. So we are following a format this year of every month focusing on one of the documentaries. Where do the documentaries appear? They begin with verse 1 of chapter 5. They end with verse 5 of chapter 22. The book of Revelation has 22 chapters, so it's the bulk of the book of Revelation. But as I shared earlier, there are six parts to the book of Revelation. The, most, uh, the, the parts that people normally talk about are the documentaries, the statements of prophecy, the actual uh, visions, if you will, movies, a specific kind of movie, documentaries. In other words, visions John was shown that reflect future realities. So we can refer to these as documentaries, uh, also as statements of prophecy. So he wrote down what he saw. So they are uh, statements in that way, right? He wrote down what he saw, so he gave a statement about what he saw, but what he actually saw was a documentary. What we have, because he didn't have the benefit of having a cell phone or a tablet or a video camera, which he could use to uh, 
capture what he saw so we could see it. He was limited to the technology at that time, uh, pencil and paper or some kind of writing utensil and parchment. So he was limited to that technology, but praise God, he used it and he recorded statements, uh, his reports of what he saw, these visions that he was shown, these moving pictures that he was shown, moving pictures with words. We call them movies, specific kind of movie, a documentary. So I'm asking you to consider being with me and with us on a regular basis so that you can hear and gain an understanding of all six parts of the book of Revelation and specifically a great understanding of each of the 12 statements of prophecy. You can listen during the live internet broadcast or you can go to the website or go to Apple Podcasts and download that way and that way listen at a time that's convenient for you. Maybe you listen while you're taking a shower every morning or every night. Maybe you listen during drive time. Do you do you drive to and from work? Redeem that time. You could listen uh, at that time. Maybe a good time for you to listen is on Sundays or maybe right before you go to bed or maybe while you're doing uh, stretching. I don't know, but would you consider being with me and being with us on a regular basis because when you hear about the book of Revelation, and you listen every week, you'll begin to um, have that information available for you on demand. Uh, One learning expert said that people need seven touches, in other words, seven experiences with information in order for it to be successfully encoded in long-term memory in such a way that the person is able to retrieve it on demand. So how many times have you heard something or read something, and then when you go to remember it, even though it's somewhere in your memory, you're not able to get it on demand. So you need, I need at least seven touches with each of these documentaries, um, each of the key concepts that we're talking about so that you're able to access it on demand. And uh, God's will is for us to be children of the day. We are children of the day. And for us to um, understand the secrets that he's revealed. So John the Revelator didn't create the book of Revelation so that um, he could win the Pulitzer Prize. No, he documented the book of Revelation so that you and I and every truth seeker could know the plans of God, so that we could understand the second coming of Jesus Christ, so that we will be with hope knowing that the time of his coming is known, and so we could have details about how important events will transpire. So thank you for being with me and with us. Always, if you have a comment about the book of Revelation, you can text it. You can do that by sending um, a text to our PGN text number. That's one 214 You can call during the live Internet broadcast, one 527 So uh, I invite you to be with me and with us.
every Sunday and every Thursday. Thank you so much for being here with me and with us. I never take for granted your time. I value the opportunity to share the word of God with you. Uh, God bless you. I encourage you according to Jeremiah 33, 3. Call out to God. He promises to show you great and mighty secrets that you do not know.